Mothers during homestay orders, we love you, we respect you, we cheer you on. Mothers of all ages, your patient persistence has shaped our lives. Thank you. Restaurants are all closed today and we're all fumbling for ways to say thank you to our moms. On Mother's Day, taking moms to restaurants to show our appreciation has been the standard go-to plan for generations of American families. Just the same way on Father's Day, we give dads the television remote to give them the illusion of control. But today we're finding new ways to show appreciation to moms. My name is Scott McKee. I'm the senior pastor at Ward Church in Northville, Michigan. And if you are with a mom where you are right now, would you go ahead and give that woman a high five and say thank you for motherhood. And if you're a mother who's all by yourself right now, double high five to you. Uh, thank you so much and thank you all for joining us today. Today's message isn't just for mothers. It's for anybody who's ever had a mother. Today's message is for the human race. We've been working our way through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, 6, and 7. It is short in length, but wide in impact. It is widely held that this short sermon is the most influential ethical teaching in global history. In fact, Professor Harvey Cox said this of the Sermon on the Mount, he said, it is the most luminous, most quoted, most analyzed, most contested, most influential moral and religious discourse in all of human history. And we've been working our way through paragraph by paragraph on Sunday mornings. And all of those Sunday morning messages are available on demand on our website if you want to catch up and follow along with this great teaching. And so today we come to a fabulous passage in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a great one for Mother's Day. And reading today's passage is Jen List. Jen is one of the leaders of our MOPS ministry. That's MOPS, M-O-P-S, Mothers of Preschoolers. And it's a group that gathers and supports moms. Jen is also involved in our ministry to kids. And she's going to read just the next paragraph in our journey through the Sermon on the Mount Let's listen now. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. And then he gives a one-sentence summary of his teaching thus far. Jesus was a master teacher, and he did not need a lot of words to communicate deep truth, like some preachers I know, like some preachers I have been. Like most people, I appreciate uh, a good summary. Give me the bottom line. Can you tell me the message in a sentence? Uh, Detroit area pastors are teaming up again this month. 
uh, in a program we're calling 313. We're calling all Christians in our region to pray daily in the month of May for three minutes at 3.13 p.m. in recognition of the area code 313, representing Detroit that has been hardest hit. And as part of the program, I was asked to send a video in which I talked about the Bible verse that has impacted me the most during this season. And it's hard to pick just one. I tried to think about what, what's the single sentence in all the Bible that kind of sums up our experience right now. And honestly, my first thought went to uh, some non-serious candidates. I thought about Bible verses like this one in James 4, 8. Wash your hands, you sinners. Maybe that's an effective summary of life right now. And then I thought of all the parents who are homeschooling kids and families that are all cooped up together in small quarters. And I wondered if the, the single greatest biblical instruction I could offer today would be this one. You shall not murder. Let's all keep that one in mind during our homestay. But the one that I actually sent is this verse from the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Wow, that is profound and difficult. Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This actually has been my go-to passage during this season. Because if I get this one right, if I'm trusting God in this way, I'm following lots of other biblical commands. If I get this right, this includes so much of the idea of Scripture. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is essentially summarizing all the great teachings of the Scriptures. So if you follow the instruction in the Sermon on the Mount, you are basically following the rest of the instruction in the Bible on human relationships. Jesus said this very early on in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And hang on to that phrase, the law or the prophets, because this phrase is going to bookend this section of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see it again at the close of this section, the law and the prophets. Jesus, the master teacher, summarizes centuries of the greatest wisdom of the world into, a, into Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the section we now call the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about anger and human sexuality and judgment and forgiveness and so on. And Jesus is so brilliant as he condenses uh, God's wisdom and instruction for life in just, just a few pages. He gives us a summary. The Sermon on the Mount is basically the cliff notes on God's instruction on human interaction. And then Jesus does not stop there. He, he outdoes himself. And then he turns and gives the summary of the summary. He gives the cliff notes on the cliff notes, a single line, a very famous line, sometimes referred to as the golden rule. One author said this, uh, the most brilliant teacher in history is going to summarize the most influential talk ever given into the greatest ethical maxim ever devised. And here it is. Jesus said, 
so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. You want a summary of the law and the prophets? This is it. You want a summary of God's instruction on human relationships? This is it. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Everybody can do this. This is discipleship for everybody. You can do this no matter how much of the Bible you know. You can do this no matter how much faith you have. You can do this no matter what you believe. You can do this no matter your age or experience. Everybody can practice the golden rule. Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, said this. He said, it was certainly clever of Christ to state it this way. The only example he sets up is ourselves. It is so clear that you don't need glasses to understand Moses and the law. Thus, you are your own Bible, your own teacher, your own theologian, and your own preacher. The golden rule is not difficult to understand. It is not difficult to interpret. It's not even difficult to do. Everybody can do this. Treat others the way you would want to be treated if you were them. Easy to understand, easy to do. So why don't more people practice the golden rule more fully? Why don't people practice the golden rule more? And I think the two main obstacles are self-centeredness and lack of imagination. The two main obstacles to practicing the golden rule are good old-fashioned self-centeredness and a lack of imagination. Uh, Author Karen Joy Fowler writes these words. She says uh, this in her book, do unto others is an unnatural, inhuman behavior. You can understand why so many churches and churchgoers say it, but so few achieve it. It goes against something fundamental in our natures. And this then is the human tragedy, that the common humanity we share is fundamentally based on the denial of a common shared humanity. We don't want to extend that to somebody else. Our our natural instincts tend toward self. Our thoughts run toward ourselves. The golden rule requires that we put others first. When someone asks you even, how was your day? The assumption is what they're asking is, how did people treat you today? But the golden rule turns that around. How did you treat other people? And so this makes you an agent and not a victim. You can have a golden rule day. I think of the story of the young boy who had uh, some some, uh, special developmental disabilities and he was having difficulty in school. He, He was not popular in his school. But he was all excited when Valentine's Day rolled around because the teacher invited kids to write out Valentine's cards and to put them into the slots that each child would have. And he was all excited about this and he filled out his Valentine's and he's checking his class list and checking it twice. But his mom was concerned. Would he get any Valentine's himself? His parents knew that he was not popular. They they knew that kids looked at him funny. And he's so excited about this, this could be a recipe for disappointment. He went off to school that day, and when he got home, his mother asked him, Honey, how was your day? And he said, 
not one. Not one, Mom. And she said, oh, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. He said, not one. I didn't miss one. I got everybody. I didn't miss a single child. I got the whole class. See, he was having a golden rule moment in which his day was defined not by how people treated him, but how he treated others. And you can actually create this joy that comes back to you in those golden rule moments. Practicing the golden rule does require imagination and creativity. I have to get out of myself, right? Treat others the way you would want to be treated if you were them. And so I have to imagine what what would it be like to be that age, to be that gender, to be that culture, that personality type, that, that experience, those wounds. I have to imagine See, many laws are legalistic and clear. You shall not murder. That's a very good rule. And it's crystal clear, but it requires no imagination. The golden rule requires a certain level of creativity. Right? I am an extrovert. My wife is an introvert. And for me to throw a party for her at our house would be no gift to her. I would love it and she would be stressed out and fatigued. I have to imagine what what would make her feel special. What would she like? So because I've been at home a lot, and because I knew I was giving a message on the golden rule, I decided one day this last week to try a golden rule experiment. Angie enjoys it when I sit with her as she gets ready during her morning routine. I don't know why, I don't feel the same way. I would not like it if someone watched me get ready in the morning, but it's not about what I want. And so one day this week, I sat on the edge of our bed and we talked as she used her uh, hair curler and then her hair straightener and then the curler and then the straightener and then a blow dryer and then a few other machines and And I could tell she enjoyed my being there. And her enjoyment uh, gave me joy. Now, this is something we don't do every day. And, you know, we have a very busy family normally. And I'm I'm consumed with my own hair and beauty regime. And then out the door to my meetings, I don't know that this can be an everyday thing. But every day has the potential to be a golden rule day. And every moment can be a golden rule moment. just requires some creativity and some imagination. There's an old saying, you know this saying. It says, before you judge another person, walk a mile in their shoes, right? You try on their life. You imagine what life is like in their life, in their shoes. Uh, it was the American humorist that has his own, his own version of this story. Uh, Jack Handy said, before you criticize another person, walk a mile in their shoes. That way you'll be a mile from them and you'll have their shoes. I like this version, but I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. He has in mind that God's kingdom is a golden rule kingdom. This is what life is like. This is what life will be like now that the up there has come down here. Now that the kingdom of God has come close in the person of Jesus, in his life, in his teaching, in his death, and his resurrection, God's kingdom is a golden rule kingdom. This is what life is like there. The golden rule is inexhaustible. 
and provides limitless opportunities to act. So in what areas of life can we apply the golden rule? In what areas of life? Jesus said, so in everything. What area of life is not covered in everything? In the ancient world, there was also something known as the silver rule, really. It uh, became known as the silver rule, and it says, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. It's the inverse or the negative. But the golden rule is a call to action, not just a call to avoidance. So we have inexhaustible opportunities for this. To whom should we practice the golden rule? To whom? Well, Jesus said, so in everything, do to only your family. That's not what Jesus said. He said, do to only other Christians. He did not say that. Do to only people you like. He did not say that. Jesus said, do to others. And the word he uses here for others is the Greek word anthropos. We get the word anthropology from this. And it really just means humankind. Do this to everyone. Do this to people you like. Do this to people you don't like. Do this to your friends. Do this to your enemies. Practice the golden rule with all people. So we have lots of opportunities to practice the golden rule. And here's the thing about the golden rule, and some of you know this already. We have to be honest that virtually every religion, virtually every uh, tradition has their own version of the golden rule. That is true. It's not a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing because it says there is a human instinct for some moral code, that that is wired within us. What's distinct about Jesus is this. He didn't just give a rule. He gave himself. This is the Christian distinctive. It's not about a rule, but a person. Jesus didn't just teach a golden rule message. He lived a golden rule life. He knew what would a child want in that culture? A child would want to be welcomed and blessed. Jesus welcomed and blessed them. What would a leper want in that time and place? A leper would want to be touched. No rabbi would do that. Jesus did it. A prostitute would want to be respected and treated like a real human. The religious people did not do that. Jesus did. Jesus taught a golden rule message he lived a golden rule life, and he died a golden rule death. What would a hell-bound sinner want? He'd want freedom. Whether he understands that or recognizes that or not, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans 5.8. He said, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'd want somebody to do that for me. Jesus did. Jesus taught a golden rule message. He lived a golden rule life. He died a golden rule death. And I know there are other questions that lie outside this, and people have questions about direction of life. I've got young adults in my house. People wonder, what college should I go to? What career should I choose? Whom should I marry? Should I start my business? Should I close my business? But you can always do the golden rule, whatever college you attend, whatever business you start, with whomever you marry, 
with whatever career you land on, you can always practice the golden rule. The golden rule is always available to you. And no life lived by the golden rule is wasted. Every life lived by the golden rule has impact. So here's the question for reflection today. And you can talk about this with your family members or in your small groups or just a personal reflection. How can you apply the golden rule during this time of isolation and uncertainty? And there are more questions for discussion and for reflection in your notes section for you to use as a group, as a family, or for you individually. You can practice the golden rule right there in your home. You can practice the golden rule on the telephone. You can practice the golden rule as you drive your car. You can practice the golden rule in your next Zoom meeting. This is an opportunity to practice discipleship for the whole family because really everybody can do this. First you take a golden rule pause to think, to imagine, to get creative, to plan, and then you execute your golden rule moment. What would it mean to be a golden rule shopper? To treat the clerk and other customers as you would want to be treated if you were them? How would you become a golden rule friend, a golden rule employee? What would it mean to be a golden rule family and raise golden rule kids? It can be so. It can be so. Be creative. Make it a game. Make it an adventure. When we live according to the golden rule, strangers feel welcomed, lonely people feel connected, generations feel honored, and the kingdom of Jesus comes on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the brilliance of Jesus who made spiritual life accessible to ordinary people. Forgive us, God, the times we have been guided by self-centeredness rather than by the golden rule. Give us eyes to see people as you see them. We know that our efforts to follow the teachings of Jesus will all fall short without Jesus himself. So as much as we need the wisdom of Jesus, God, we confess that we need Jesus all the more. So give us what only you can give, your presence, O oh God, your filling, O oh God. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake and for his glory. Amen.